podcast ain't played nobody in the off season. Is it is it technically the off season? Do we consider bowls to be the off season? Well, I, I, you know, that's going to be most of my next three weeks is writing bowl previews. So it's not going to really feel like the off season on my end. I don't think. That's okay. Um, it's definitely not the regular season um, because I spent Saturday doing not football things and it was glorious. I <laughs> caught four and I caught the last eh, six minutes of Army Navy, and I want to start there, Bill. Um, and I want to ask you something as a statistician and a fan, so you can answer twice. While I drink my coffee, um, is it bad for college football that Navy streak has gotten so ridiculous? No. Why? I think it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, people. I don't think it's affecting ratings, is it? it may, I mean, maybe it is, but I don't think people watch that. I, I, you know, while obviously there are people who root for Army or Navy, a good portion of the people who watch watch because it's Army Navy. Um, and as long as, you know, especially if you've got somebody like Keenan Reynolds, when you've got exciting players involved, then, um, you know, I, I don't see why it would really matter who wins. Obviously, you know, plus streaks are, are good in that, you know, you're going to always pay attention. If it's, go, if it's back and forth and there aren't stakes beyond, you know, two teams that are like four and seven or something, then maybe you don't watch. But um, this is like, you know, me watching the Belmont damn stakes every single time there's a horse that's won the Kentucky Derby and Preakness going, okay, now is where I see the Triple Crown winner. And it took like 30 years to actually see a, a Triple Crown winner, but I watched every time. So I just found myself really partisan this year, more, more so than any year. Really like Navy, really like Keenan Reynolds, Keenan Niamatinolo, super easy, awesome coach to work with. Bill, you've interviewed him before. He's super cool, right? Oh, yeah. Nothing against Navy. Man, I wanted Army to win. Just to, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think after 10 years, it gets to be a bit much, yeah? Well, you're talking to somebody who rooted for a, a team that lost t- 25 straight years to Nebraska, um, and and every single year is like, okay, here's where we do it, and it took like eight years of me saying that and going to these games for it to actually happen. But um, I think Army may be um, the toughest situation in Division One football right now. There are a lot of poor programs out there. There are a lot of um, talent depleted programs out there. And I guess I'm including Idaho and New Mexico State and, you know, broke programs like ULM. Um, but what Army's had to do with the amount of available bodies that they have, um, I just think it's uh, it's been tougher, but mainly because Navy was successful and, and found consistency in their coaching staff and player development. You know, I mean, Navy's had some bad years recently. I don't have their year by year up in front of me, but. You know, they certainly weren't in the college football playoff rankings every year, even though those didn't exist. Don't be don't be a dick on Twitter. Um, Army just I don't even know what the physical the amount of like I, I talked to people on the staff uh, before this season started um, when I was working on the Georgia Southern thing, because obviously that's where uh, Coach Munkin came from. They estimated that they were working with about half of the available bodies that you would have, like, quote unquote, on scholarship at another FBS institution. So uphill battle for them to climb uh, uphill war for them to wage i guess i don't know if you're supposed to say war or not um they uh they still made a hell of a game out of it it was still super awesome to watch um we were in new york city for the Peisman ceremony um i'm hoping to somehow make both of those events happen next year because i really do want to get to army navy which i think next year is in baltimore um yeah they've been alternate they alternate weird so i'm not completely sure but yeah it might be <laughs> My it, my request is, for, for someone who doesn't know, 
Although I do have USA insurance, um, so maybe that maybe that allows me to to make a request here. Why not move it around a little bit more than just Philadelphia and Baltimore? <clears throat> Why not go to East Rutherford? Why not go to um, Pittsburgh? I mean, I don't know if it's a northeastern corridor thing because of Annapolis and West Point. If so, yeah, I get I've, that. I've always assumed that. Then um, well, then go to go to Gillette. Go to go to um, Heinz Field. I think you could stay. Maybe just no, nothing against Philadelphia, nothing against uh, against Baltimore. I'm just saying, maybe spread it out a little bit more. I know the Redskins Stadium right now in the suburbs is just you know beyond atrocious and, and very hard to get in and out of. Maybe that's not one you do, but uh, I mean, even old RFK might be a better option. So, um, I it was funny. I, I was very relieved. I've done a lot of radio today, and I don't. I, I've said this on every every question when I started a segment. I've done two already, and I have like four more to go was like, aren't you glad the season's over? No, I'm not a dick. Like, I, I, I get to have a really cool job. And it's a job that you guys think is cool, obviously, because you listen to what we do, and we appreciate that. But, yeah, you do get burnt out. Um, I was tired of travel after conference after the conference championships, and, and that's okay. It doesn't mean I don't like the sport or my job. Um, and then on Saturday afternoon, after Army-Navy was over, and we had the evening, um, my wife and I had, uh, had dinner plans, and uh, – it was a little strange not to have the football. It's a little weird. It was a little weird to be walking around Manhattan with a severe hangover from the Piesman and I'm like <laughs> through a storefront television, see like the FCS playoffs going on. And it wasn't something that I, I could immediately recognize and know what was happening or the teams playing. I think it was North Dakota state and, and uh, Northern Iowa, but um, I like bowl season. I assume Bill, you, you are you a fan of the, the uh, excess bowl season? I don't know, like the uh, the fatty bowls, the pointless bowls. Oh yeah, uh, you know I don't. Looking at uh, you know, I finished my first bowl preview yesterday and, and realizing in my head, okay, one down, thirty nine to go. That didn't really, that wasn't very thrilling uh, in, in and of itself. But I mean, I watch them all. You know, I I love being able to get a last impression on each team, even though even though we know very well you're not supposed to, you know, take these very seriously or, or you know jump to massive conclusions. But it's a nice time to say goodbye to a lot of players, especially now that I've been doing these previews for five years yeah uh, you know I, I talk about the same players every off season and uh it's kind of nice to be able to you know see them one last time and then you know wave goodbye and all that so uh plus you know I, I i also burn out especially these last two years maybe with because of the playoff or whatever um it's the the, the yelling has been it has grown and, and it's pretty exhausting so i definitely don't mind when the off season comes i also i also enjoy the off season because that's when i I allow myself to get pretty creative about that, you know, not necessarily the preview series, but everything else I do. You know, I went to Munich last year and, and wrote about that. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of creativity time for me. So I don't, I don't necessarily mind. Um, we'll still have plenty of content, by the way, in the off season. I don't know what that content will be. Don't ask us right now, but just shut up and trust us. Um, and we are still staying on a weekly schedule. People have asked me that on Twitter. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be with you through the thin of it. We might take a vacation in the Valley. Um, by the way, I, I consider the Valley to be uh, the first week after all spring games are over yeah. um, until about a week and a half before the um, conference media events start. So May and June, really the Valley. If college baseball is on, it's the uh, Valley. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, somewhere in there is when, I, if I do do another uh, European soccer thing, somewhere in there is when I would do it anyway. So, um, you know, let's jump into the um, 
Let's go to the bowls through with the next time we record. So that is seven-ish bowls. Um, we'll jump in those real fast just because we've got a little bit of football left to talk about. So Bill's already touched on it. We'll preface all this. Um, don't draw large conclusions from anything that happens on um, in any of these bowls. Okay? These are exhibitions. Um, I feel like we have to repeat ourselves. I'm sorry if you if you did listen to the last, I think it was the last show, the show before last, where we went through the specific reasons why. Coaches are on the move. There are a lot of interim staffs. There are many incomplete staffs, even on really good football teams. And then on top of that, you have players getting ready for the draft, some that are academically ineligible after finals. Um, and in general, you have transition states for all but maybe a handful of teams Obviously, the four teams vying for the national championship are uh, just as uh, intensely focused as anyone would be in the regular season. But as we kind of meander through the end of Hanukkah, the early Christmas, um, this is funsies. There's some good stuff here. There's some stuff I'm excited to see here. But this is, you know, this is just pure football product, and, and, and it's really... Uh, it would be ill-advised to draw conclusions from much, much if any of this, until you get to New Year's Eve. So, with that being said, it's still football. And um, actually, the first one on my list is not a game you probably previewed, which is the AFR Celebration Bowl, Alcorn State at North Carolina uh, A and yeah. I didn't realize um, that's a, that's a, that's on like ABC, isn't it? It is on ABC at noon on that's Saturday. So if you're um. If you're like me, Saturday is going to be like my last day of peace between between work obligations and travel, and then uh, holiday travel obligations. Bill, um, your family celebrates Christmas. Or do you guys go anywhere, or do you stay in Columbia? And if you say that you stay, I'm going to be insanely jealous of you and hate you for that. Yeah, we stay. We um, son of a bitch. <laughs> we, we the first year I had this job, we went to Oklahoma for Thanksgiving, and it was a nightmare. I mean, I, I was in the hotel room writing about five hours every morning. Um, it just didn't make a lot of sense to go somewhere and then have me basically working anyway. So basically, our travel holiday is now MLK. That's when we, like the last three or four years, that's when we've gone to Oklahoma to see the remaining friends and family that we have in Oklahoma. That's that's our travel. And and so for Christmas then, because the grandparents are so close, you know, we, we benefit from that. One, my parents are five minutes away and hers are ten um, we have a, you know, we have a nice little six person Thanksgiving, six person Christmas. Um, and then we, you know, we'll head out of town in mid January. I hate you so much. This is genuine. This is not, this is not a podcast <laughs> shtick. I will get in the car next Monday or Tuesday and drive from, uh, Nashville, Tennessee to first to Louisiana, then at the end to Mississippi, um, with with a with a baby, with a dog, with a wife, with a car loaded. I mean, it's just it's everything you it's everything you dream of and more. Um, uh, as anyone who's been uh, near Louisiana knows, all of the the t- the two Catholic families because it's just two families that are cousins. That's pretty much it. Um, it's like two million, one point five million family uh, member families. They all try and occupy the same living room at the same time in Louisiana. So. I'll go do that, and then um, and then I'll go over and see my folks who live in Mississippi now, and um, and then this year I'm skipping Georgia. So, uh, and then I'll come home and get on a plane immediately, go cover a bowl game. So, uh, not a lot of downtime. So I really enjoy these bowls for what they are, and that is um, good conversation filler with 
strange groups of people sometimes, right? Distant cousins, <laughs> yeah. neighbor, a friend, whatever, someone who may want to veer into politics on the left or right side. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it just puts a pin in all that kind of stuff. So I, I do. Um, I will always have a, a fond spot in my heart for the Hawaii Bowl, even though it's not on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day anymore. Um, I don't think. I, I don't remember when it is this year. Let's see. Uh, basically there was a period of five, six years in a row where, oh, it is on, yay, it is on Christmas Eve again. Okay. So. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the drunk game because yeah. 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 Well, everyone's drinking. Well, I'm sorry. Not everyone is drinking on Christmas Eve. My in-laws are. Well, for a few years in a row, that would be, we'd go back to Oklahoma city. Uh, my friends would have a get, or my parents would have a get together with their old high school friends and whatnot. And they're all nice people. Uh, but they'd talk and we wouldn't my wife and I wouldn't have uh just a whole lot to contribute to the conversation but the Hawaii Bowl would be on and there would be a fight or it'd be 58 to 55 or yes like it was guaranteed wonderful entertainment and not always the case I believe that that Southern Miss Nevada uh the where after Fedora had taken an NC job back in what 2012 or so um that was one of the worst bowl games I've ever seen I'm pretty sure that was the Hawaii Bowl so it's not a guarantee, but for like three, four, five years in a row there when we were in desperate need of entertainment or distraction, the Hawaii Bowl came through for us. So that was I, – I will always, you know, appreciate that Hawaii Bowl. Absolutely. Um, every Christmas Eve, my in-laws host the neighbors, and it's very like last scene of It's a Wonderful Life, but boozier and more like, that's some bitch, Miles. Like that's kind of every statement or every phrase that starts. Um, and so it's great at like 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock to look up from the bourbon and see some football product. Okay, we're stalling. Let's jump in on this. By the um, way, actually, let's stall a little bit more. I what? just looked it up. Um, Celebration Bowl, obviously HBCUs, uh, the, the, the quality is an issue overall. But Correct. It's still uh, football. Well, it is still football. And these two teams are actually not terrible. Um, Alcorn State got wrecked by Georgia Tech when Georgia Tech was kind of at its healthiest and, and hadn't been beaten down yet. But... Um, in the Sagarin ratings, it's NCA and T versus Alcorn State. NCA and T is 152nd in the Sagarin ratings. That's not great, but it's it's UTSA, it's Idaho, it's uh, you know Tulane, it's that level. So it's not it's not high school. Uh, Alcorn State, meanwhile, is 169th, right between UCF and New Mexico State. So I, I'm not going to sell you on that being an amazing game, but that there is athleticism there. Alcorn State's actually really really fun. Um, Watched the last couple SWAC title games. Got a couple glimpses of them this year. Um, that, that's a that's a fun team. I wish it was Bethune Cookman in the uh, in this bowl instead of NCA and T because I have opinions on this. Um, good God, Bill! <laughs> but uh, that that's not that's going to be a pretty good game. And of course, the you know when it, it's just it should be a good time. The end. Anyway, uh, on we go. Uh, yes, you. And by the way, I get this text message occasionally or question on the internet from people who know that I've. Um, I guess I'm sort of from Mississippi or spent a long time there. Yes, Alcorn State does have a whitehead coach. That is Jay Hobson. He was a defensive coordinator under Jeff Bauer at Southern Miss. He was the defensive backs coach at Ole Miss. He's been there for quite a long time. And there's a ESPN feature on why he is there that I think you can just Google because um, ESPN doesn't need any traffic bump from us. Uh, New Mexico Bowl. Arizona. New Mexico. Big plays. Well, what are we thinking? Big plays. Okay, big that, plays. Big plays. Uh, Ridge Rod be, still standing, still intact. The, well, yeah. The, <laughs> not employed by anyone other than Arizona. 
That well, that's going to be one of the weird aspects of this game. That's one of the things I, I wrote about in the preview that you that nobody's read yet because uh, it's not up. Uh, it, you know, that's when a team has an abnormal bowl performance, either abnormally good or bad. One of you know, you could say that one of the reasons is often that you know, coach either obviously co- either coach left or coach flirted with other jobs and returned. Um, that's always kind of an awkward situation, and so. You know, it seemed like Rodriguez, after interviewing for the South Carolina job, whether he was actually offered or not, he did a pretty good job of stepping off the plane and going, this is where I want to be. This only reaffirmed it, et cetera. Right. But, um, but that's, that could be a factor. And, and New Mexico basically lives and dies with big plays. They're, um, Jarrell Presley, I think I called him the Adam Dunn of college football in my preview because, like, he has one of the worst opportunity rates. That's, you know, percentage of carries to gain at least five yards. Of any sort of feature back, he's got just about the worst in the country in that. But then he's also maybe the biggest power hitter in the country. Like if he gets to five yards, he's getting 25. Yeah. Um, so if Arizona is flat-footed at all or not really interested in being there, he's going to rush, you know, 10 times for 215 yards. So it should be fun. And Arizona is kind of relying on big plays anyway. New Mexico is kind of happy to give them up. So no matter what, we should we should see big plays and have fun. Um, I can't really add anything to this because um, I'm not Bill and I'm not a robot, but I will say that this one feels ripe for the um, – oh, we keep this family-friendly – the uh, the whether or not the better team cares factor. Yes. Um, and Arizona's actually not they're, – they're a better team, but they're not maybe as better as some think. I've seen – the Pac-12 team lose this game before in, in, in like the Wyoming year jumps out at me um, because in, especially in New Mexico's case, you're at home, you're excited. They, you know, they built back New Mexico from a, a really bad team, a New Mexico state level bad team. So this is going to, in terms of intangibles and focus and the fact that it's been a, a really, really early prep schedule. I think all of that actually favors New Mexico. They're going to come out and do something very aggressive very early would be my prediction. I can see that. Yep. Uh, Las Vegas Bowl, this was supposed to be um, a bigger deal than maybe it's going to end up being. Uh, BYU obviously doesn't have a head coach right now, Bronco Mendenhall. Um, but he's still coaching the game, though, isn't right. he? Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't quite have that like uh, heavyweight fight feel because of the fact that this is Bronco's swan song. He's already got a foot out the door with Virginia. Um there's a huge amount of staff uncertainty. There is sort of the lingering rumor of whether or not Kyle Whittingham would go to BYU. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, and then we have, uh, according to Bill, who told me this, it's the first thing he said to me before the podcast, we don't have the kind of matchup we thought. Well, just, yeah, it's not going to be, it's going to be the anti-New Mexico Bowl. Let's put it that way. If you like defense and, and, and you know, stops at the line, then this is, this is the game for you, but... You know, BYU probably won't be able to run the ball because Utah's defense is really, really good at stopping the run, and, and BYU's not great at it anyway. And then Utah doesn't have any skill position players left. Devontae Booker's probably not playing. Um, the top two receivers are both questionable at this point. Um, you know, and, and BYU has a really good pass rush. So if Travis Wilson, if his first read isn't open, then he might be getting hit a lot. So, I mean, if that's your kind of game, then great. And it'll be intense. Um, you know, there's a decent chance. I don't think we're going to see a, you know, Memphis BYU style brawl, but there are going to be bad feelings in this one. And that should make it watchable and, and semi entertaining, but it's not going to be a, an aesthetically pleasing game. 
No, but this one definitely matters. Um, they these teams will see each other early next year, so it's not quite like a uh, if Texas and A and M or West Virginia and Pitt had been uh, were meeting up in a bowl. And I know the backyard brawl is on, but it's not on for a couple more years. Um, this it, it matters. It's two teams that hate each other. It's two teams that didn't see each other this year or maybe last year. Is that true, no. Bill? Right, yeah, last year was the first year. So really, this will it'll only end up being a one-season gap because they're playing this year. Um, the Camellia Bowl, Ohio, App State. Um, this is, uh, Bill, just take care of this for me. <laughs> I um, do things, okay? I just don't do a lot of investigative, deep-dive work on these programs. So save me. Uh, can Appalachian State be disappointing at 10-2? That feels weird, but I feel like I would. Say, they would say no because of the trajectory that they're on, going through the Sunbelt. Sun belt. This is where I can't help. Um, what they they thought they were going to get overshadowed by Georgia Southern's ascension. Yeah, um, true. And they've actually had a much better season. They feel great, and they feel well positioned for the future. So I know yeah, that they they did not win. Uh, you know, they thought they could have made a perfect run through, but right. uh, no, I think they're very excited right now. Yeah, I mean, basically, when they beat Georgia Southern, first of all, I think they were in my S and P top twenty-five. Like they were, they re- they had put it together like five top fifteen or twenty caliber performances at that point. So, I mean, I think maybe I'm just disappointed because that was the team we were seeing. But right after Georgia Southern, they um, they fell asleep. They barely got past past Troy. They got thumped by Arkansas State, and Arkansas State's actually. Kind of, I mean, they they finished the year really, really strong, um, but you know those two weeks really, I mean, it hurt their ratings obviously. But you know, they they seemed like they took the foot off the gas a little bit. They barely got past South Alabama in the finale, but yeah, I mean, I guess they are ten and two. They're still forty second in my ratings. Um, they still had a very good year. This was, I mean, the, what Appalachian State's done is pretty incredible because they sucked the last year at FCS. Like they moved up last year, and it looked like the worst timing in the world to move up. And then they started last year terrible, uh, and then like midway through last season, just you know, the the switch got flipped. And since then, they've been great. And it's that's not really supposed to be the way that works, but it has. Um, it's still interesting to see what we we may have a, a spot of realignment coming in the, on the uh, on the group of five side. Appalachian State and Georgia Southern are so well positioned for the future that. If the CUSA needed schools, those are the two that I would go to. App State and Georgia Southern are both hurt by the fact that they're not media market schools. Well, that but seems when to be you're what, in that what kind of market USA, for a team. I'm sorry. Well, that seems to be what Conference USA goes for, though. I mean, you look at the the moves they made. They they actually, on average, they they ranked below the Sun Belt this year because they were they added you know Denton um, and you know with whatever proximity to Dallas, they added the Florida schools and whatnot. I mean, mm-hmm. they did add Western Kentucky, but well, that, some- yeah, that, that's the footprint they like is that they think that like Western Kentucky and middle Tennessee will bring them Nashville. They think that North Texas will bring them DFW. Um, in, in both of these schools cases in Boone, North Carolina and Statesboro, Georgia ain't bringing you nothing. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere into very pretty towns, but uh, in no way are they, are they DMA towns? So um, but look, I, I, I hate to frame up these schools uh, talking about stuff like conference realignment. They're, they're good schools. App State's had a hell of a season. Um, the Cure Bowl. The Cure Bowl. We are actually sending Roger Sherman to this bowl. Did you know that? <laughs> yes. I um, that. For those of you who maybe didn't get a chance and you, you want some great reading this week, check out Roger's um, 
we'll say ongoing diary from last year's Bahamas Bowl. He was there. We try and send Roger to the biggest train wreck that we can find in bowl season, and uh, that's definitely this year's winner. It's a CBS sports game. It's on 7 p.m. The reason why it's on CBS sports is important is because usually bowls that fall outside of the ESPN um, uh, mafia hold, they don't get promoted well. They usually turn in really bad ratings. Um, Auto Nation is the sponsor, although this is being done as sort of like a we think a breast cancer awareness bowl. We don't know. It's just, this is fat. It's also the first of three bowls at the citrus bowl. So it's San Jose (laughs) state and Georgia state, Georgia state, probably um, maybe not the most statistically surprising team to make a bowl, but my God, what an absolute dumpster fire this program was out of the gate. And uh, the fact that they beat Georgia Southern and kicked off what will be an ugly rivalry at that level. And the fact that they're going to uh, a bowl at all is just absolutely stunning. No, it's, it's awesome. They won't drive. Let me say this. They won't drive across Atlanta from, from, from the Eastern side of downtown to the Georgia dome, like the 15 block (laughs) drive to go to a home game. So I don't know how many people are going to show up in Orlando for a bowl game. Yeah, I always think of it like, I mean, I understand, you know, commuter campus, not a, a historical fan base, anything like that. Uh, but I always assume that there is at least one, every single one of these schools, Eastern Michigan uh, on up, has at least one obsessive fan that that it was absolutely made joyful for this, uh, for these last, this last, I, I talked about Appalachian State flipping a switch, you know, Georgia State was two and six. Um, and basically looked like the terrible team they were supposed to be. They lost to Charlotte in the opener, and that was, boy, Charlotte tried to give that one away, and Georgia State just said, no, 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 we're not going to. Uh, they lost to Liberty. They lost, uh, they got romped by uh, Appalachian State. Um, but then beginning of November, I'm looking at their results. Like, they, they almost knocked out Louisiana Lafayette, which, I mean, Cajuns weren't that good this year, but then they, from that point on, they killed Texas State. They beat South Alabama by two touchdowns. They beat Troy by 10 points. And yeah, they went to Statesboro with a bowl bit on the line and crushed, just like ran up the score in the second half. That's insane. I mean, their their defense is certainly better than it has been. It's not that good, but their offense is legitimately solid. They're 68th in my offensive S and P plus. Like that's they they mm. they produce big plays. They it's insane. It's it's, it's I, I love it. The last time I saw Georgia State on film was I was in a hotel traveling somewhere and saw their opening game against Charlotte. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, we'll, we'll speed through these last two before we, we'll stop with the December 22nd games because we're going to record. Um, the New Orleans Bowl is actually, it, it's sort of a bigger deal than, than the casual fan might realize. Um, it's been propped up recently uh, because of University of Louisiana at Lafayette and their excitement and their, their, their reverence for playing in the Superdome in New Orleans. Um, it's a big deal to those Sunbelt schools to make this game because it has a big-time feel. New Orleans being a great tourism city, it draws a lot of people in. Um, I think both fan bases, Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech, are going to treat this like a big game. It's going to have a great atmosphere, um, and it's also a good matchup. So and it's good, it's just the first one again. I've been able to really say this about outside of BYU and Utah. It's at night again. It's not like that. Um... Oh, no, no, no. It's going to be drunken because in Lu- at Louisiana Tech, they feel very slighted about the attention they receive statewide. They're way up in Ruston at the top of the state. Um, but they are going to come down in mass, and they and they are going to show up for this game. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, Arkansas State's a really fun team at this point. Their offense is awesome. Um, it, it should be, you know, Louisiana Tech's offense is awesome. And, and both defenses are at least aggressive, not always, you know, successful, but aggressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, that has the making, that's everything you look for in, in a early minor bowl game. It's, it is going to be a night in New Orleans. It's not like that stupid 11 o'clock kickoff last year. Uh, it's going to be a night. It's going to be two teams that are relatively close. Uh, and intense, and um, it, it won't necessarily be the most well-played game of the bowl season, but it should be a lot of fun. That's the one I'm actually, even counting BYU-Utah, that's the one I'm looking forward to most uh, from the first day. Um, and the last one on Monday, this is a game I'm looking forward to. Probably the most out of all these groups, mainly because I'm very familiar with both of these programs. Um, Western Kentucky and USF, it doesn't sound sexy until you get into it, and that's uh, about the Miami Beach Bowl. This was the uh, bowl game last year where Memphis and BYU hit each other in the face with helmets. Um, (laughs) That's the only thing anyone remembers. It's on Monday at 2.30 Eastern, not the greatest time slot in the world, but um, obviously former Western Kentucky, um, he's a Hall of Fame member. His jersey has been retired in their stadium, Willie Taggart. He was also their coach. He went to South Florida. He was going to be totally, absolutely fired um, like two weeks before Halloween. And um, the month and a half later, he was interviewing for the South Carolina job. So that's that's how life goes. Um, this is going to be a really interesting, fun game. It's going to be a dynamic. It's going to be um, – there's going to be some personal stuff involved here um, with Taggart and his old school. Um, he did recruit some of the kids that are still on the roster at Western Kentucky – um, I can't divulge everything I know about all that dynamic, but I can just say that it will be um, both positively and negatively intense. So these teams, this is one of those where if I have to put a check mark next to some sort of relevance for some of these games, like Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech, it's fun. There's no relevance. Louisiana Tech would love to win a bowl in their home state, but it doesn't really mean that much. This has relevance. Um, Western Kentucky has been very upwardly mobile the last couple of years. USF is trying to regain some identity, any, any shred of what they had when Jim Levitt had them as a top five program for that hot minute. And what was that? Oh seven bill. Yeah. 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 Willie has um, possibly turned the ship around. Um, he's possibly made uh, a believer out of USF and his power football system. If you don't know anything about USF, just think Stanford Harbaugh light, um, or maybe not even that light, maybe diet would be the better word, I guess. Um, this is what they like. They like to run the ball. They like to run big power sets and two backs and stuff that um, you would see Michigan do now. So Western Kentucky, think Bobby Petrino because he was there for a year. His OC was uh, Jeff Brom, and now he's the head coach. Um, they may actually – I think they probably run it a little more wide open, and they pass a little bit more than Bobby likes to. I know Bobby always hates it when people talk about his passing offense because he actually is very, very even when it comes to play calling. None yeah, of that and, has anything and, to do with this bowl uh, game. And, uh, you know, between Petrino and the guy he left behind in Bowling Green, only one of them has a good offense this year. And it's, it's, no, Western Kentucky's fifth fifth in offensive S and P plus right now. Like they, they are legitimately strong. The only team that really LSU slowed them down a little bit, but they still got what 20, 24 points. I think, um, Vanderbilt in their season opener was the only team that, that really slowed them down at all. And it turned out Vanderbilt had a pretty good defense. So, um, you know, they, you know, Brandon Dowdy's thrown for 4,600 yards. Uh, and then on the, yeah, on the other side of the contrast is fun because on the other side, you've got, um, you know, South Florida's quarterback, Quentin Flowers, he only throws about 20 times a game, but he and Marlon Mack have combined for 2,200 rushing yards. So, um, 
it should be just in terms of styles making fights and everything else and, and probably points ending up on the board. That one should be good. Um, okay. So I could go on and on about that bowl game. I really like it. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Find yourself in a place to watch it on Monday afternoon. Um, yeah, I know jobs suck, but do what you can. Um, so we're going to jump into, because we've got a lot of it, reader questions. Um, and we'll try, I'll try and push away some of the playoff more stuff until later. Um, because we still have like two, three, four weeks of that technically. Um, we're going to try and honor these, these, you know, forgotten, completely unnecessary tax shelter bowl games and the teams that play in them um, in here in this little little valley before we get back to the big-time college football. Um, so with that in mind, none of the questions I'm looking at have anything to do with them. Mm. We should have asked accordingly. Um, so let me jump in with um, – uh, here's a question from at James Curl, C-U-R-L-E. Um, you could speak to, uh, could you speak to ECU's firing of rough, perhaps a growing trend of fire first, make plans later strategy of some ADs. I don't know if they fired rough with no plan at all. I think they fired rough. Uh, um, in fact, I know they fired rough over, um, an issue with his unwillingness to, uh, make wholesale changes with his assistants. He did lose Lincoln Riley last year to Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley was the Broyles Award winner this year. Um, that was a huge blow, but uh, I don't think you could find anyone in the nation who would agree with the firing of um, of Ruff and McNeil, but uh, I don't necessarily know if that means that ECU had no plan. Well, I mean, they certainly interviewed a diverse cast of characters, Um in, in looking to replace him. I, you know, I, I've said it here. I've said it everywhere uh, at least once. Like, hiring a coach is terrifying, and it's a coin toss. And, you know, if you do all your homework and, and you know, you're really thorough and you get a good list, of, a nice diverse list of candidates, et cetera, maybe that means you have a 60% chance of hiring a good coach as opposed to a 40% chance or something. And when you've got Ruffin McNeil, I mean, this just this this pressed all my buttons. Firing a guy after one bad season uh, is kind of ridiculous, and firing a guy for not wanting to change his assistant coaching staff. I mean, look, you he he you hired him. If he doesn't win enough, he's going to lose his job, and it should be on him to determine how he's going to go about winning enough. Five and seven is is not going to really cut it, but five and seven once when you have a bunch of injuries and close losses, and you lost you know, record-setting passing game and, and uh, offensive coordinator in the offseason, that feels a little bit excusable to me. So, um, I mean, like everybody else, this pressed every single one of my buttons, and I hate it. And, you know, good luck to Scott Montgomery. Uh, he's, he's certainly got a nice pedigree. He's waited for his opportunity. That's all awesome. Um, hope you don't have one bad year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, Wow. So there's a lot of, this is a great time of year to to ask for questions because it's, it's, it's indignation over coaches, it's anxiety over recruiting, it's indifference or excitement towards bull. I mean, it's really all of the little areas converging. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, uh, at Jake underscore Vanos, V-A-N-O-Z asks for an in-depth breakdown of the auto nation cure bull. We just did that. Okay. You didn't even have to wait. Um, at, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize in advance. Saman Jabari asks, and that's at Saman D-G-A-B-B-A-R-I. The reason I spell these out is if you're interested in following the other people that listen, 
Simon's sure good, by the way. He's a study hauler. You should definitely follow him. Theo. Oh, thank you. Uh, is Clay Helton ever going to hire a coaching staff? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I'm kind of wondering that about Barry Odom, too. So um, There are a lot of – so uh, I can jump in and, and help explain this. So there's a little event called the American Football Coaches Association that's about to um, – they have like a convention, which is um, if a lot of things, if not a giant job market. And that will take place the week of the national title game. Usually – Major hires at major programs, so your your two coordinators and and your top recruiter, that stuff's usually made before AFCA. So in a situation like USC, they're not waiting for anybody to like show interest in them. They've already reached out and shown interest. Now. However, sometimes this is just without specific information of what Helton is doing. Sometimes you have guys who are locked into situations as interim coaches or are working. Have, have given a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to recruit for X amount of days for you guys. So you have a little bit of a lag. I talk to a lot of assistant coaches, almost exclusively assistant coaches, and the carousel for them starts earlier because of the speculation because and also that they get fired quicker and ends later because the job shifting is even worse for them, and sometimes staffs don't get filled out until after signing day. So all that being said, I can't really tell you why USC hasn't filled it out all the way other than maybe Helton is targeting some guys who are not available at the moment. That would right. be my best guess. Right. I mean, I know, I mean, you think about the guys who are still involved in the playoff, especially, I mean, there could certainly be some assistance there that major conference uh, schools will go after for a, you know, parallel move or a, a slightly higher move or whatever. You know, that's certainly one. And, I mean, the other thing is now, I mean, you are in a dead period for recruiting. That doesn't mean recruiting stops, that there are no phone calls or anything like that. But nobody can take a visit until, what, like the 13th of January now or something. So you do have a cushion. It's kind of um, – it's frustrating. I mean, this is <laughs> – I haven't – as a fan, as a Missouri fan, I haven't been through a coaching change in 15 years, and I want to know my school's assistant coaches so I can talk about them. Right. Uh, and it's not happening Um but, you know, it does seem like there is uh, – you do get a little bit of time now to um, make the hires and, and everything else. Plus, if Helton is anything like Barry Odom was uh, last week, you know, being that the dead period was uh, was approaching, he was out recruiting. Uh, that was the biggest – I mean, he, he was trying to get a couple of visitors in. He was visiting all of the, the commits that Gary Pinkle had. Um, and he was trying to get somewhere with that. And then um, now, I guess, the focus goes more towards um, – assistance um much like we put caveats and asterisks in front of bowl games uh it's strongly advised you do the same with uh with your new head coaching hires first recruiting class for all the things that we're talking about right now they have other they have they may have other commitments um they may have an incomplete staff they're picking up whatever the last staff left behind yeah definitely Um, people tend to forget that and yet we talk so much about how recruiting has become this year-round process and that more and more people are getting hired in full-time positions at athletic departments to just work on recruiting and scouting and breaking down film in july and going to camps with high school you know freshmen sophomores um so your new coach even really good recruiters even someone like kirby smart who's having success early this is they're still adjusting on the fly. So I, I've never met a coach or an assistant that said, "Hey, that that interim year we had, a transition year that we had, uh, we did a great job." They always feel like they left a lot on the table because they either didn't know the landscape or didn't have the tools ready. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it makes sense. You you walk into, you're trying to see, you know, of the commits, you know, who's going to stay committed or who do you want to stay committed, I guess. Yeah, you're walking in and saying, who do we have? Who can we still get? As opposed to spending an entire year sculpting a single class. Uh, Ricky Muncy from Roll Bam Roll at Ricky RBR. He asked if there was an NIT for college football breakdown the tourney between teams ranked five through eight. Um <laughs> Yikes. So I guess what we're asking for are, well, since five and seven teams have made bowls this year, um, if I had to go out there and find good five and seven football teams to play each other in a tournament right now. Well, no, is he meaning that or is he meaning team the fifth through eighth ranked teams? Oh, God. So he means the last possible teams to get in of the five and sevens. Well, I don't so, know about the last possible, no. but the ones that jump out at me right away, Kansas State, um, even though they're in a bowl, they're five and seven. Um, no, no, so, no. I mean, like Iowa, Stanford, Ohio State, Notre Dame. That's what I think he means. The, the oh. teams ranked fifth, sixth, seventh. And See, eighth. I, I went so much. I, okay, I was so I, much. I, I like fatalist. your idea, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was the, the the ethos of this show is so fatalistic that you know we, we, <laughs> we were trying to figure out if you guys wanted us to talk for five minutes about terrible football. Um, Oh, okay. Um, so, so just taking four more teams and having them play in a tournament, right? So Iowa, Notre Dame, Stanford, Ohio State. It's in that order, right? Well, those would be the matchups: Iowa, Notre Dame, five eight, Stanford, Ohio okay. State, six seven. Uh, Iowa, Notre Dame. Wow, uh, that would be an awesome game. Those, those would both be a lot of fun. I, I, I would enjoy that. Um, I, I think we'd have Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Ohio State would uh, win by twenty one, but you know, still be fun. Um, I kind of like Iowa. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm taking the <laughs> conference title week bump. I know you hate Iowa, Bill. With a, with I, a personal I, I personally loathe the, uh, everything about the University of Iowa. Yes. No, actually, um, they are the type of mature team that could probably do some damage to Notre Dame. You know, being that yeah. Notre Dame is pretty young and thin at this point. I think that. Um, you have to take Notre Dame out of it because of the what they've got left. Um, and I, I don't want to jump into the Fiesta Bowl preview, but, you, I mean, that, that thing could get ugly. Um, the uh, I think Iowa or Stanford. I'm hedging I really like, I like Stanford. Stick with Stanford, Iowa. Ohio State, would, the winner of that game, I would pick to beat the winner of the other game. Okay, so so let's just say Bill and I both say Stanford. It's always fun. To, it's all. I mean, it's always fun to to uh, to pick Stanford. Um, now on the okay. So on the on my misinterpretation of the question, what? Get, let's let's make a quick tournament of miserable five and sevens. Missouri would win it. We'd have the defense, but well, no. But everybody entering has got a problem. Uh, let's see. Let me let me hop onto the F plus rankings here and see what the highest ranked five and seven teams were. See, this um, is see the evil way is more fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely more fun because yeah, okay. So you, like just off the top is, of my head, five and seven teams that I know: um, Kansas State, who's playing Arkansas in a bowl. Um, Nebraska is the highest ranked. Who five is five and seven? Nebraska. Okay, so you have Nebraska, Kansas State, Missouri. See, this is you. You could put this whole tournament in Kansas City and sell it like gangbusters. <laughs> All right, what else? Uh, looks like Nebraska's one. Minnesota is two. Minnesota uh, works good. Heartland, okay. Illinois is three. So this is basically this is the Big Ten's best chance to shine right here. I mean, never mind that they you know almost got two teams in the playoff. They would own the five and seven tournament. 
I like the five and seven tournament. I think we should put it in some. I think we should put it in an um a bad weather a bad weather town every year and have them play it out over like two days. All right, so I'm sketching this out here. Number one seed is Nebraska. Oh my God! I wait, and they they only have to play two quarters. It's just all sudden death. It's like three <laughs> on three hockey. So you get like two games in one day then. Look, I'm we're we're doing something right now. Okay, recognize okay. genius. So, all right. So you'd have how many four teams seed- are in the? How many teams are in, Bill? Just four. I'm gonna say eight. I'm gonna say eight because why the hell not? Okay. Um, you have Texas four seed Texas versus five seed ECU. You'd have um, I'm going three, ECU. <laughs> you'd have Illinois versus Missouri. Missouri. Um, you'd have ooh Minnesota versus Kentucky. Minnesota. And you'd have Nebraska Buffalo. Nebraska. So, so then, I, oh, who did I just pick there? Nebraska, you, Minnesota, yeah, Missouri, uh, I think. Missouri. And who did you pick? Texas ECU. ECU. Okay, so Missouri ECU. ECU would win because they can score. So ECU um, versus the winner Nebraska. of Nebraska Minnesota. Uh, Nebraska. And so Nebraska, your NIT ECU. final is Nebraska versus ECU. That's a fun game. Let's do this. Look, we could sell this. We could do this. <laughs> two quarters, though. Yeah, I'm. I'm totally okay with that. So I mean, you'd basically... nobody wants to see. Nobody wants to see eight teams, four court. No, 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 no. Just, just. Yeah, I mean, or or four four minute quarters. But they all in. Okay, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> but I like this because that you start with eight. At the end of the day, you have your finals. Like you, you play a half of football. The winner advances and plays a half that that evening, uh, and then like the next Saturday, you got Nebraska ECU and you're done. Um, just to recess. Wait, where was Kansas State? Did I screw something up? No. You, oh, you didn't put K State in there. Well, we can eliminate them because they were in a bowl this year. Were they? Yeah, they're playing Arkansas. Oh yeah, that's right. They're <laughs> they're six and six. Wait, I thought Kansas State was five and seven. Oh. Boy, this show is grinding to a halt. I'm gonna jump real, I'm gonna jump back into reader questions. Just no, they, to save. they won at the end. They beat that's West what Virginia. It was. Yeah, they okay. got to six and six. The end. Um, that's why Dana Holgerson like was losing his job for five minutes. Um, uh, at Jargonaut, J A R G, the number zero, and then not uh, asks, "What's worse, missing out on quarterbacks consistently or missing out on assistance?" I would say that they are probably intertwined. Um, well, I, yeah. I would look at, um, at at the highest level when people talk about missing out on quarterbacks, they always talk about LSU. Um, that's not, I mean, I can think of other programs that have struggled to recruit quarterbacks, but the, in terms of like a top five, top 10 program, that's the one everyone likes to, to, to harp on. Um, when you miss out on assistance, you do miss out on, on, on talent, not just quarterbacks. So I think that those two are intertwined. Um, the program that does that handles this the best is Oklahoma. They have reinvented themselves multiple times using assistance specifically under Stoops, but that comes from a willingness of the head coach to adapt and change. A lot of those guys don't want to do that. Um, I think Al Golden was hurt by the way that he built his staff at Miami. Um, I think that you're seeing the same issue at Texas right now for different reasons. Um, I don't know how that necessarily blends directly into recruiting because the state of Texas is pretty, um, well, it's dramatically different than anywhere else. Um, that's a question we'll have for Bud Elliott when he comes on. 
Um, as of right now with the transition period that we're in, those are the staffs that jump out at me in terms of having frustrations and in, in what kind of quarterback that they can recruit. It's definitely a bud question, though. I don't think Boston College is too good at it either. That's a joke. Yeah. Um, let's see. I got, I got one here. Okay. Um, at RF Caps Mustache. Nice. RM Cooper. Uh, since the season's over, can you give us full details on just how historically bad Maryland's offense was this year? Um, they had for a while, like I, I keep, you know, one of the things I look at in, in on those stat profiles and in my offseason stuff is like the your your turnovers luck uh, in terms of points per game. Like on average, a turnover is worth in terms of field position about five points. Um, and so basically I look at the number of turnovers you should have had based on fumbles and, and pass breakups and whatnot versus the number you did, uh, you know, multiply by five, divided by games, and you get like a points per game gained or lost from turnovers luck. Um, for a while, Maryland was so incredibly off the charts in terms of that. They were like, I, I couldn't remember one where they were, where I, I couldn't remember previewing a team that had worse than like six or so point, uh, you know, points per game of negative turnover luck, maybe six and a half. They were in like the nines and tens for a good portion of the season. Um, it looks like I'm looking at it now. It looks like they have evened out as, as it tends, as tends to be the case. They were still dead last in turnovers. Look at five and a half points per game of bad bounces. Part of the reason for that, or the biggest reason for that is they apparently threw the most catchable interceptions in the history of college football. Um, Defenders are only supposed to, you know, defenders get a hand on a ball. They break off, a, break up a pass. They're only supposed to really catch about one of every four or five passes defensed. Um, they caught like every single one. If, if a Maryland quarterback threw a ball um, that was even slightly interceptable, it was intercepted. They threw 29 interceptions this year. That is insane. Jesus. And I mean, that's, that's terrible. It, there was no way to make that good, but it probably should have been about 20. Uh, and so they lost a lot of points per game for that. And But 29 interceptions in 2015. In college football in 2015, they threw 29 interceptions. And, you know, if you're going to have bad luck, might as well have it in a year where it doesn't really cost you anything. They lost um, they lost nine games, but only two of them were by one possession. So um, it, it made things worse, but it wasn't going to make things a lot better, I guess. Um, one more to throw your way because this is a pretty big and bold assumption here or, or a big and bold question in terms of numbers. Uh, at B17, Anderson asks, using your predictive metrics, what are you most confident in seeing happen this bowl season? That's, that's pretty broad. Um, is there anything that uh, – statistically? my assumption, and this as we're getting towards the end of the show, it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the top. These games are outliers and need to be outliers. They, they don't – sometimes you shouldn't even factor these in when you're statistically. I know that you do, but – given but they still only carry the weight of one game. Right, but the circumstances being what they are, um, do, you, do you ever just throw that out as bad math? Some of these games? Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the reader question, but um, I'm, curi- I'm curious if you waited at all. It'd be kind of interesting to look at like uh, your ranking at the end of the regular season and your ranking at the end of the bowl season, see which one's more predictive of success the next year. Um, I assume just from a pure sample standpoint, it's still better to have the bowl than not have the bowl. But okay. yeah, it's, it is at, at best worth you know, one-thirteenth of your season. And um, it, but because of our because our eyeballs love last impressions because we remember the last thing we saw 
we always, 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 always freak out about what we see. And that's just, it's always wrong. Um, yeah, I'm not confident in a damn thing when it comes to what we're going to see in bowl season. I can tell you that I'm, I'm pretty confident that Alabama is going to be Michigan State. I can say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident that Western Kentucky will beat South Florida, but I'm only so confident about any of that. There are just so many factors, like you said, about, you know, coaches spending a lot more time looking for their next job than actually, you know, doing their coaching duties or so or something of that nature. Uh, it's just so hard to figure it out. I will say the thing I'm most confident in is that I'm not going to enjoy watching Georgia Penn State. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect transition into the next question, which is from Dan Davis, who's the uh, whose pen name is Paul Crew. Uh, he's a writer over at, at the Valley Shook at ATVS underscore Paul Crew. What is the worst college football game you watched this season in uh, in its entirety? I guess was his. That's the only framework he has. Um, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. The worst game that I saw this year. I watched UConn Missouri in person. Okay, so we should probably just go to the next question. I mean, until the drive, until the 22 play drive by Michigan State, the Big Ten title was really bad. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the games I saw in person. I was really, I was hashtag blessed this year to see comebacks and to see pretty consistent games. And when um, even dominant performances were sort of um, pushed aside by um, – comebacks and things are you know like texas was pretty dominant but it still wasn't like a runaway game against oklahoma i saw nebraska and miami which was not necessarily like a great football game fundamentally but it ended up being great from a entertainment standpoint um i hate this because you know how how much i want to answer bad or talk about bad football um I caught that. I caught like almost all of that Georgia State Charlotte game on the television. I'm trying to think if there's anything reprehensible on a weeknight. Um, is there anything you remember thinking like, "Ooh, I get paid to do this, and that's why I'm doing it right now"? Because I can't. I can't really. I know they were out there. Well, I mean, the very first. I mean, come to think of it, that first Friday night of the se- or Friday afternoon of the season, because it was the only thing on, I did watch all of Charlotte Georgia State. Um, that had a couple of big plays early on that made it kind of entertaining, but after about the first 20 minutes, it was just a dreadful slog of an awful football game. Um, one that jumps out at me was that I could only, uh, I was entering it like a weird radio space while I was driving and could only hear South Carolina and Clemson, which was not as fun as it sounded and like on the radio. That sucked pretty bad. Um, I, I hate that we think of low tier or, or group of five bowl games, but I, or, group of five conference games, but that's, that is kind of what I'm racking my brain for right now. Oh, I mean, probably the worst one, I guess for me was that I spent eight days writing about a 44 to nothing football game. <laughs> I don't know why I just, I don't know why all that vocal meandering took me. Like I had to go that long to arrive at this point. Yeah. I mean, we last March in the, at the SB nation college football summit, where we put together our big ideas for the following year, um, we knew we were going to do a week one in bed to send me in with the coaching staff. And it was technically, and I'll throw them under the bus any chance I get. It was technically Spencer Hall and Jason Kirk's suggest. They put Georgia Southern West Virginia on the table. Now there are other people in our industry, other colleagues of ours that we had. I remember having the conversation with thinking that that had upset potential because like, if you look at the West Virginia now with the uncertainty of the coaches and et cetera, okay. It, it makes sense now, and it made sense last season. It just didn't make sense in week one when they absolutely drug Georgia Southern. Um, 
So, I mean, it was a pretty bad game to watch. It was pretty lopsided. And when you have eight days worth of work invested into something, like I had entire, I had one 1,300-word section of the piece that it involved a uh, an offensive wrinkle yeah. that they worked on for three days that they never got to call because they got so down so fast and, and also <laughs> could not get the protection right to do it. So when you talk about the amount of research that, you, that goes into this kind of stuff and the time and everything, like I just had to kill it because the agreement that I have with coaches when I write about play calling and adjustments and what goes on in these private meetings is if it doesn't show up out there for God and everyone to see on the football field, I have to kill it. And I've done that every single time I've embedded with a team, and I'm okay with that. I don't think I'm hiding anything from the reader. I I, I don't want to allow any kind of competitive disadvantage. So if a coach wants to say something to me on the record, that's one thing. But if it's if it's something like, hey, we've got this. Uh, it happened last year with Cincinnati. They had a really cool trick play that they didn't run. They didn't run it. They still haven't run it to my knowledge. A really cool. It, it involves passing. That's all I can say. They practiced it. They thought for sure they'd use it against a particular look that Ohio State showed. It never happened. So, you know, the baby goes out with the bathwater. Anyway. I do uh, sympathize I, when you were talking about, you know, you go and, like, it had to be kind of a sense of dread when you, you know, you're at the game uh, and you realize five minutes in, uh, I, needed, I needed Georgia Southern to put up a fight here and it's not going to happen. I, oh, when, God, man. When I went to Munich, I, the, I, I went, spent a week in Munich to write about how great Bayern Munich is. I went to two home games. They lost both of them. <laughs> and I still, I mean, I, I was able to spin it and it was yeah. fine. You know, the, like, they lost to Augsburg. Augsburg's best player on that team was a loan from Bayern. So I got to kind of twi- twist it around as a, you know, the jokes on Augsburg kind of thing. Um, and you know, Bayern had already clinched the title, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I went, I spent a week to talk about how great they were and they lost twice. Well, let me, let me throw something out and, and our readers being, uh, acute, highly educated people, um, on average can probably figure out where I'm going with this. Um, I, in, I embedded with Vanderbilt with, uh, when they played Tennessee and they lost, I embedded with Western Kentucky when they played Alabama and lost. I embedded with Mississippi state when they played Oklahoma state and lost. I embedded with Cincinnati when they played Ohio State and lost. <laughs> I embedded with West Virginia when they play, or with Georgia Southern when they played West Virginia and lost. And I think I'm leaving two other schools out of there. That's just off the top of my head. Um, I'm not really. I'm a bit of a foreboding presence now. The funny <laughs> thing is, is that when, when I go in and negotiate these these access pieces, no one has put that together yet, and I hope they don't. So if you're so listening, that's why you saved it till I'm like great the fifty-seventh minute of this podcast, so that nobody it's important would be listening all, yeah, to it. All, all the influential coaches that are listening to this, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So w- what the trick is, if you are listening to this, you should have me embedded with your opponent, with your opponent, um, and uh, and I will bring you, I will bring you great fortune because apparently taking five minutes out of every three hours to talk to me just freaking wrecks a program. <laughs> Um, any more questions you want to jump into before we uh, we wrap this up as we celebrate the worst of what bowl season has to offer? Um, pedestrian in HOU asks, which FCS team are you pulling for in the playoffs? You know, at this point, I'm kind of just rooting for North Dakota State. I enjoy streaks. Um, I don't know. I, um, let me let me just to play contrarian. Let me pull it up and look. Um, <laughs> 
I used to follow it a lot more because, as I've said on the show, my parents went to Georgia Southern, and so I grew up watching the FCS playoffs or really listening because you didn't see much of it. But um, I followed it every year, and then when they moved up, I stopped. You have um, Richmond, North Dakota State. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jacksonville State, Sam Houston. Um, oh, so we're already down to our final four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I feel so, bad now. I, now that I've, I've, I briefly forgot Jacksonville State was in there. The intern goes to Jacksonville State, so I guess I need to root for them. The qu- no, the answer would have been Montana, but they're already out. Yeah. Um, of those four, uh, just to kinda, make just to make all my friends from college mad, Jacksonville State. I kind of like all four. I mean, those are all four pretty good programs. That should be a, a good set of uh, of semis there. Yeah, I'm going to go Jacksonville State just to infuriate people I went to college with. <laughs> and then finally, Celebrity Hot Tub. Um, who are, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. The, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's some dude. He, he asks only the most important questions. Um, he asked, what karaoke duet would we tackle best? Now, I've always thought that Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer is, is an underrated wow. um a duet, but I don't know who would be the Kim Carnes here. Uh, depends on how much I've drank because my voice changes when I drink. Man, um, by the way, Peisman, that was fun going to that bar with the hilariously loud music and everything. Um, I was hoarse like five minutes in. My voice oh, was man. cracking, and we were there for like for hours. It was anywho. Um, uh. Uh, I'm stalling right now to think of something not necessarily funny, but just something absurd. Let's just go with "Baby, It's Cold Outside," and I'll do the female part. Uh, just, just in this, in the spirit of the season. How about that? Also, I, shut up, Ryan. You stupid ass questions. I, um, I'm trying to think of a of a male duet, and all I ever come up with is "Ebony and Ivory." So, um, any of the Highwaymen songs of like uh, Cash and Willie and Merle. Yeah, true. And, true, and, yeah. Uh, and Christopherson. They're- they're a group, though, so yeah. I, I don't know if we that could can... probably get it down to. Uh, uh, we could get it down to two singing parts. There's a couple of them. I mean, "Girl from the North Country," you could do that. All right. Yeah. Anyway, ah man, this this show has just wanted to live in the ditch, which I guess is pretty typical. Let's uh, let's get the hell out of here. We'll see you guys next week for some slightly better bowls, but not much. Um, enjoy your holiday shopping and your driving. Yep. <laughs>